Let me tell you what God's doing in your life and my life. He is molding us and making us to be more Christ-like. And I don't know about you, that thrills me. He's taking this old lump of clay and he's molding it and he's making me to be like Jesus. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. But in our text today, we're going to see he is the potter and we're the clay. He's in the process of molding us and making us what he wants us to be. So our text, Isaiah 64, as we read verses 1 to 9, this is God's Word. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against you, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins swept us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father, we're the clay, you're the potter, we're the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? And this morning, Lord, as we open this passage, I pray that your spirit would open our hearts. You're the potter, we're the clay. Mold us and make us today. And help us this day to see you in your beauty and to see our great need for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm basically going to be looking at three things. I'm going to move fairly quickly through the first one, which is, do you sense this is a prayer? I mean, Isaiah is praying. And he's praying. He's looking around, and he sees all of the... He sees all of the evil in the world. He sees all of the malice in the world. He sees all the injustice in the world, and it's really bothering him. And so you read in that first verse this prayer, Oh God, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down to this earth, that you would make things right, that you would deal with the injustices here, that you would deal with all the malice that's in the world. Now let me stop and simply ask you that again. Don't you, can't you relate to that? When we begin to look out and we see all the injustice in this world, when we see the malice in this world, when we see the evil in this world, I mean, all we have to do is look, cut on the news and listen. 
And don't you long for God to come in a powerful way? See, Isaiah has in his mind what God did many times back in the Old Testament. The people were in Egypt. They were in slavery. They were being persecuted. God came down. That's what he's praying for. And if Isaiah was here today, I'll tell you what he'd be thinking about. The leadership of North Korea, the Taliban, ISIS, terrorism, nations that are persecuting people terribly, injustices that are in the world. Oh, God, calm down. And let me simply say, not the purpose of this sermon to develop this, but let me get to the end of the story. I'm going to tell you something. God is going to deal with it, and God is going to come down. There's a day of coming when Jesus Christ comes back, and he will deal with the injustices in this world. He will deal with the malice in this world, and he will set things right one day. In fact, the grand narrative of God's Word moves us all the way through that great point of consummation when God restores all things, new heaven, new earth, no sin. He will deal with it. Now, Isaiah turns from that. And I guess we all relate to that, right? We all relate to that. Now he turns from that and he starts looking at himself and he starts looking at God's people. And you know what he does? He calls us then to confess our sin and to confess our need. He calls us to repentance. Look at this verse. You come to the help of those who gladly do right. You remember your ways. But when we, notice what's happening here. He's moved from out there to the nations and he's coming down to us. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. Isaiah, now look, I'm going to tell you, this section of the sermon is very convicting. I just brought a lot of conviction on my life as I prepared for this and really looked at myself in light of what he says in these verses. Remember that the gospel says, please remember this. The gospel says we're a whole lot worse off than we ever thought we were, but that we are more loved and accepted than we ever dreamed to hope for. And it's not until you get those two things right that you get it. We've got to see ourselves. We're a whole lot worse off than we think. That's what Isaiah is dealing with here. He's dealing with God's people. He's not dealing with the pagans out there. He's dealing with God's people. And he says we have to come to grips with our own sinfulness. We have to come to grips with our own failures. You will never appreciate the work of Jesus on the cross until you first of all come to see how desperate we are for him. We have to come to admit that we're guilty before God, that we deserve nothing from him but his displeasure and his anger. And I'll tell you, this is especially hard for people who've been brought up in religion. It's especially hard for us. You know why? Because we're nice people. C.S. Lewis says, the hardest people in the world will reach are nice people because they're so nice. <laughs> Isn't that true? We just don't get it. I used to, but, you know, I was a pastor, I preached in my church in Rock Hill 30 years. And I used to tell our folks, I'd say, you know, some of you have been sitting here 30, 40, 50 years, you still don't get it. 
And that's the great danger because you could be here 30, 40, 50 years and still not get it. It's not until you come to grips. And here's the thing about religious people that's the hardest thing for us. We have to face our self-righteousness. We have to face that our niceness will never be nice enough. I was reading Richard Loveless. Richard Loveless, uh, a great book on, he's talking about renewal. And in this book, I read a statement and it really caught me. He said in this statement that one of the greatest problems that we face in the evangelical church, that's our kind of church, one of the greatest problems we face in the church is this, that so many people have developed a pride for religion and been, conduct, and, and been conditioned to tradition. And they've made their, their traditions and their religion, their pride in religion, have become idols. You know, an idol is anything you make more important than Christ. What an idol is. Hey, we can make our religion more important than Christ. We can make a style of worship more important. We can make a room, a building more important. I'm going to tell you something. Here's what the gospel does. It calls us to get deep into our hearts and be honest. To be honest. We've got to look at that. Here's the case with me. I don't know about you. I grew up in the church all my life. I'll tell you my tendency, my default mode is always back to self-righteousness. Because I can look out there and find people who are a whole heck of a lot worse off than I am. And you know, when I get busy judging other people and looking at other people, I miss me. Look at what God says about our self-righteousness. Look at the verse. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of us. You, 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 me. All of us. You see, here's what I love about the Christian faith. The Christian faith, it puts us all in the same playing field. We've, we've all failed. And when you can finally come to that place in your life that you admit it, it is so freeing. All of us have become like one who's unclean. And what about all our nice things we try to do? All our righteous acts are like filthy rats. Look at it. Boy, that's convicting. We have to come to realize that even the best we have to offer is not good enough. The best things we could, the nicest we could ever be can't balance what we owe God. Because the scripture is very clear. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And I, let, me, let me promise you something. When you come to this place in your life and you get this, you know what's going to happen? You're going to see Jesus in new ways. You're going to embrace the cross in new ways. And there is going to be a freedom in your life. There's going to be a joy in your life. There's going to be a peace in your life. You know how it is. You've been hiding something for a long time and it's become a pattern in your life. You've hit it, hit it, hit it. Finally, it comes to light. It's rough when you have to face it, but it's liberating. We can quit hiding. When we come to that place of honesty in our lives and repent and we come to Jesus and acknowledge that he is the only way to be saved, we put our trust in him alone. We embrace the cross. 
when we do that, our sins are forgiven and his righteousness. Remember, we looked at this. His radiance becomes our radiance. His glory becomes our glory. His beauty becomes our beauty. And his righteousness becomes our righteousness. That's what happens. Do you see the freedom of the gospel? Do you see the hope of the gospel? Do you see how Isaiah could say, our hearts ought to throb and swell with joy. We ought to be radiant when we see this. That's the power of the gospel that takes broken people and turns them into trophies. And when that happens, it's then that we can begin to grow and mature. It's then that we can come to that place where we submit ourselves to God's sanctifying work in our lives. Look at verse 8. Yet, O oh Lord, you're our Father. Let me stop there. Look. Remember all those failures? Oh, let me tell you something. You have a Father in heaven who, regardless of whatever failures have been in your life, loves you with an unconditional love. He absolutely adores you. I said to my children as they were growing up, there's nothing you could ever do to make me stop loving you. Now, you can grieve me. You can break my heart. But I'm not going to quit loving you. I tell you what's fun now. I'm saying that to my grandchildren. That's even a lot more fun than your children. But let me tell you, we're weak, but we have a Father in heaven who absolutely absolutely is our Father who loves us unconditionally. You know what he says about you? You're precious. You're precious. I love you. That's what he says. That's our Father. When I get there, you know what? I know this, that my Father in heaven wants the best for me. And my Father in heaven will do anything to bring the best to my life. Hence, we're the clay and he's the potter. See it? He is in the business of molding us and shaping us because he has a final goal in mind for our lives. And that final goal is that we would be conformed to the image of his Son that we'd be conformed to the very image of his son. He said, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And until that time, we are his workmanship. That's what he says. You remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9, all of us have been in the faith along, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Don't forget verse 10. We're his workmanship. He's in the process of molding us and shaping us into what he wants us to be. And what is that gold? Look at it in Romans chapter 8 where he makes it very clear. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined for what? What did he predestine us for? Look at it. To be conformed to the image of his son. Let me tell you what God's doing in your life and my life. He is molding us and making us to be more Christ-like. And I don't know about you, that thrills me. 
He's taking this old lump of clay and he's molding it and he's making me to be like Jesus. And it's a lifelong process. See it? Now, here's the question. How does God mold us and shape us? I want to give you, I'm going to give you six. And so if you take notes very quickly, uh, the first ones are what we call the ordinary means of grace. These are things that Christians have been taught years and years and years that are means to help us grow. How does he mold us and shape us? Number one is through reading his word and meditating upon his word. You have to get in the word. If all you do is come here, and I know this, if you come to First Presbyterian Church, our pastor, our preacher, will be back next week, preaches God's Word. You come here, you're going to hear the Word. But I'm saying it's more than that. When you leave here, we need to be students of the Word. We need to get in the Word and wrestle. Don't let it intimidate you. If you haven't started reading the Bible, start with the Gospel of John. Just begin there. Look at what John tells us about Jesus. Focus on that one place. It's all about Him all the way through the Scripture. It's all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. You've got to get in the Scripture, and you've got to meditate on it. That's number one. Secondly, you've got to pray, and you've got to have times with the Lord. If you're going to develop, look, Christianity is not religion, it's relationship. And if you're going to develop a relationship with anybody, what do you have to do? You've got to spend time with them, right? I've made it my practice for many, many years now that the first thing I do in the morning is get up early and here, first thing in the morning, I go into my study and across my desk, and this shows how simple I am, there are two leather chairs and I'm telling you, it's like every morning I'm going down and Jesus is there in that chair. I read what his word says to me and then I talk to him. That's simply what prayer is. It's just talking to him. And you begin to develop. You begin to get to know him in deeper and greater ways through prayer. Third thing, through worship. Through worship. Worship is central. Your private worship and what we do right here, it's critical. And particularly in a church like this where you get expository biblical preaching, it's important that you're here. Unfortunately, just study just came out. A guy named Dennis Rayner did a study of evangelical churches, the most active members. You know how much they come? 1.7 times a month. That means less than two times a month. Our most regular members are here. You've got to make a commitment to be with God's people in worship. Forsake not the assembling of, of yourselves together. We need to be in worship with one another. Worship propels us. What we do here should propel us out and make our daily times of worship and Bible study and prayer more alive. And the more we do that when we come back, the more alive we are in our worship experience. And then number four, circumstances. I dealt with this last week. Circumstances. Sometimes God teaches us, molds us, and, and makes us through the most difficult times of our lives. He shapes us and molds us. I look back, I shared this last week, I look back over the most painful times of my life have been when I've had fresh encounters with God like never before. And I showed you that wonderful passage last week that says, in our distress, he too is distressed. 
and the angel of his presence saved us. He lifted us up and carries us. And you will find through those deep, dark times that you are being carried on the wings of our Savior, even through those difficult times, because he's promised, I will be with you, and I'll never leave you. The fifth one, I'm sorry, no, this is number five. I've got one more after this. Number five, spiritual conflict. I don't want to skip that one. Spiritual conflict. Spiritual conflict is real. If you're serious about your faith, and I'm going to say this this morning because I do believe that God is doing a remarkable work here in our church and in this community. You get serious about your faith, you're going to get in a battle because Satan doesn't like it. And even what we're sensing here, you know, we're, we're really seeing God do incredible things in this church. I mean, I look at the numbers of people who are being touched by this ministry. But I'll tell you what, he's going to come after us. And if you get serious, he's going to come after you. But you will grow because it's then in spiritual conflict that you learn how to resist him and how to put the armor on that God gives to you. And then the last one, this is the one that's often most overlooked. And it's through deep relationships and in communities where we learn how to work the implications of the gospel out. Deep in relationships. You will not grow the way God wants you to grow in isolation. We need each other. Desperately. We need deep fellowship and relationships. One of the core components of our strategic vision is what we call cultivate. And that's the area where we're trying to develop life communities and small groups where people come together and learn how to put the lens of the gospel on so that they can see life from God's perspective and work the implications of the gospel out. That's going to take place best in relationship. And it deeply troubles us that there are many of you, you come Sunday morning, and we're glad that you're here Sunday morning. But you need more than that. You need to plug in to community. You need to find people that you can be close to and you can open your heart and life to where there's accountability, people who love you and want to help you grow. And we're beginning here some, some new uh, discipleship training and groups that we're just in the initial stages of working out to get much more intentional about this and you'll be hearing more about it in the weeks to come. Please be open to this because this is the way that God is going to make you and mold you. Well, here's what I'm saying. Once God's rescued us, he begins to work in us to bring us to maturity. He's the potter and we're the clay. And now I hope you see it. Arise, <laughs> see? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises over you. It's been my prayer through this series that you come to understand and realize how much you are loved and accepted by your heavenly Father through the work of his Son, Jesus. It's been my prayer that you grasp the beauty and wonder of the gospel, that you're both humbled by it and comforted by it as you see your own unworthiness and yet your great value to God. 
It's my prayer that we would be filled with inexpressible joy, but also a deep sense of our brokenness over our sins and failures. And it's my prayer that when we get it, that our hearts would throb and that we would find that incredible joy that God has for us, that we would arise and shine and be radiant. And I pray that each of us would realize that we are works in progress, and God is not finished with us yet. He's the potter. We're the clay. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, it's a simple prayer. And I pray it's the prayer of every heart here. It's the prayer of a hymn. And Lord, hear us as now we lift this before you. Have your own way, Lord. Have your own way. You're the potter. We're the clay. Mold us. Make us after your will. While we're waiting and yielded and still. Oh, Father, make us more like your son Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I trust the broadcast was a blessing to you. Earlier this year, we spent several Sundays studying the New Testament book of Revelation. And if you would like to hear those messages again, please contact the church bookstore on 672-1846 and they will be glad to assist you. Join us again next week as Sunday morning is first and foremost. <laughs>